Hi, everybody. This is Heather Vickery. Welcome to this week's episode of the Brave Files podcast. Happy February, y'all. Starting a new month is once again proof that the days are long, but the years are short. Time really does fly. And so I'm wondering, how are you planning to leverage your fears into intentional bravery this month? It's a short month, so let's call it a sprint. Who's on your side? Who's helping you make those magical dreams of yours come true because they deserve to come true? You deserve everything you want in life. If you're looking for an incredible group of people to have on your side to bounce ideas off of, to help you stay accountable, and to inspire you, then be sure to join our free Facebook group, Brave on Purpose. It's easy and it's free, so what do you have to lose? Simply visit Facebook and search Brave on Purpose. And I really look forward to seeing you there. There are some incredibly cool things we can do when we do them together. Something I've been doing a lot of lately is self-study on the absolute life-changing power of self-compassion. It takes radical self-compassion and confidence to live the intentionally brave life we all deserve. But when today's guest, Kate McGinnis, abruptly lost her job as a high-flying corporate lawyer for a Fortune 200 company, she also lost confidence in herself. In this conversation, Kate talks about how she moved forward, how she found confidence in herself again, and there is a whole lot you can learn from her journey. So let's get to it. Authenticity, resilience, and courage. This is Heather Vickery, and you're listening to The Brave Files, stories from people living courageously. When we choose bravely in big and small ways, it powerfully elevates our lives. I hope these stories connect with you and encourage you to embrace bravery in every possible way, day after day. Together, we can build a movement of courageous living that enriches both our lives and our communities. And if you enjoy the show, I ask you to please share it with others. Maybe think of someone who you want to choose bravely right alongside you. Thanks for tuning in. Now here's the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Brave Files. I'm so happy to have you here with us today. Part of choosing an intentionally brave life is learning to have radical self-compassion and confidence. The two go hand in hand, and yet they're quite difficult for most of us to achieve. But today's guest, Kate McGinnis, went from a life as a high-flying Los Angeles lawyer to existing in exile in an Iowa farm town, and she lost her confidence along the way. Kate's here to share her journey from confidence lost to confidence found. Kate, welcome to The Brave Files. Oh, I've been looking forward to this. Me too. Really happy to have you here. So you describe yourself as having been a high-flying L.A. attorney, and then you went to live, as you used the word, exile in a small town in Iowa on a farm. Can you tell us a little bit about this journey and and this major life change? Sure. I had been a very successful attorney for many years, and I guess that dates me. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I graduated from law school in 1977, and there were not too many female lawyers practicing corporate law. And that Absolutely. was what I wanted. Yeah. That was what I wanted to do. I went to a big law firm. I practiced mergers and acquisitions. 
and I was quite good at it, I have to say. Uh, I got a lot of reinforcement. Uh, you might think about them as collecting gold stars. Mm, yes. So, we all love those gold stars. We love them. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, uh, I had a briefcase full of them. <laughs> and uh, I had local recognition. Certainly, I was practicing in Los Angeles, and I often worked on deals that had national implications. So here I am with this big ego, all invested in my work, and I get an offer to go to work for a Fortune 200 company as their general counsel. Oh, wow. This is like <laughs> a galaxy of gold yeah. stars. Yeah. And that was, uh, that was exciting. Uh, but uh, I was terminated very abruptly. Uh, we had some disagreements. Uh, you know, the, the job of the general counsel is to say no. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and did they, you think they hired you as a woman because they thought they could manage you better? They didn't want you to say no? Oh, no. I think they hired me as a woman, I would concede. But mm -hmm. they, they were try trying to go for diversity. Okay. You know, they were, I think the finalists were me, an African-American male, and someone with a disability. Okay. Well, I can't be mad. When was this? Oh, this was 1995. All right. So in 95, I mean, I, I can appreciate any company who was intentional about trying to be more diverse, but fascinating that um, they didn't like the fact that you were saying no, which was no. your job. Yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. They didn't. And uh, so what happened is one very sunny Monday morning, the two very senior, very powerful executives walked into my office and told me that I was terminated, that a press release would go out before the market opened on Wednesday, saying I no longer work there. Wow. And that was very shocking because I had, a few months before, gotten a very big bonus. So you kind of shake your head. And I am proud to say, Heather, I did not cry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe not then. A little bit later, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, wow. But I mean, the uh, complication was I used to commute with my then husband, <laughs> who worked uh, as a lawyer in downtown LA. So uh -huh. I called him and said, please come pick me up. I want to go home. I've been fired. And I had to tell him that three times because he would say, oh, no, don't joke. Don't joke. Wow. But yeah. yeah, he did come. And uh, I spent a long time negotiating my severance. And eight months later, I got a severance package I was very happy with. And my tax lawyer had advised me to get it in annual installments. And this was a company that had been around for 120 years, <laughs> Fortune 200. Sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sure. Annual installments. Uh, and then several years later, that oh, no. company was acquired by another, even bigger company. And, oh, given you live in Chicago, you probably know about this. <laughs> Do you remember when the Tribune went bankrupt? I do. 
Well, I sure do. And the Tribune then stopped paying my annual severance. Oh, my goodness. Right. So I had lost my confidence when I was fired, spent a lot of time on introspection. And I was right. I wrote a novel actually about women being sexually harassed in the law firm because I felt strongly about that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And then uh, I was, I had bought a small ranch living um, near the school. My son went to a boarding school uh, because he had some rough times. (laughs) And so the boarding school was the best alternative but he's my only child, and the mm. idea of my only child being so far away was very hard. Yeah. So I bought a ranch uh, near him. The ranch was adjacent to a 6,000-acre nature preserve. So uh, I was in heaven. I loved it. I loved nature. And, and where was this? Oh, this was in the Santa Inez Valley. Okay. Yeah, which, beautiful. Uh-huh. Yeah. North mm-hmm. of Santa Barbara. Uh, so I had my ranch. I had my two rescue dogs. I had my horse. And my horse, I got him a goat because he was all alone in the pasture. <laughs> so horse, goat, uh, two dogs. And then I was married to my meditation teacher. All right, then. Yeah, transcendental meditation. And everything was hunky-dory until the Tribune went bankrupt. Mm. So I had to sell my ranch uh, into a very bad market. And then where am I going to go with uh, not knowing whether I would get a penny out of Tribune? uh, How am I going to support myself? Uh, The market for lawyers was very bad then, 2008. Mm -hmm. Yeah, huge recession, right? Right. And I had, of course, left my book of business behind. So I, uh, we moved to Iowa, which, strangely enough, there is a small town in southeast Iowa, which is the center of transcendental meditation in the United okay. States. All right. So that's what took you to Iowa. That's what took me to Iowa. My then husband had... Uh, a lot of friends there and a lot of connection. He had lived there for a while. He was, a, as I said, a teacher of transcendental meditation. And it seemed as good a place as any, <laughs> a lot less expensive than California. And by, uh, not a small factor was the fact that my son was in school in the middle of Iowa. He was in college then. So we went off to Iowa. And the town is half meditators who have come there from all around the world, actually. And population about 9,500. And half of them were very devoted meditators. And the other half were pig and soybean farmers. So here I am in the middle of the two uh, while I practice transcendental meditation. I was not as deeply into it or as devoted to it as many. My then husband meditated seven hours a day. And that So you were lonely. I was, yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, very, you very were lonely. lonely. And not practicing law, which you right. love. Were you writing at the time? Well, as a matter of fact, I had gotten this novel published, and I uh, had written it to educate women about what is sexual harassment, what is gender discrimination. And I figured the best way to educate people was to give them something to read, but it had to be something entertaining or they wouldn't read it. So that's why I ended up writing it as a legal thriller. Okay. And what's the name of that book? Terminal Ambition. Terminal Ambition. Interesting. Yeah. It sounds like, it sounds like, and I don't know, that I would read that title and I would think, well, so my ambition's going to kill me. Uh-huh. <laughs> that was the goal. <laughs> that, that was the goal. And it okay. was also your final ambition. So mm. the antagonist in the book is the chairman of the law firm. And his goal is to become the attorney general in the next administration that's coming in in months. And he wants to clean up the charges of sexual harassment and discrimination in his law firm. So a lot of the women uh, are excuses, excuses to fire them. Yeah. And the heroine, there's a sham committee to say, oh, well, we're really cleaning up the law firm. But the sham is that they're really out investigating who <laughs> class claims so they can get rid of them. All right. Wow. So is the book still in print? Can folks get it oh, if yeah. they're interested? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. We'll link to that in the show notes. It definitely sounds intriguing and fascinating and almost like it could be written right here in 2021. <laughs> <Yeah>. Unfortunately, <laughs> things haven't changed that Unfortunately, much. Things Things haven't changed that much. So at some point, though, Kate, you decided that living lonely on a farm in Iowa wasn't where you were going to spend the rest of your life. And we, you, you have a new book out. We're going to talk more about that. But this whole idea of going from confidence lost to confidence found, um, you must have had confidence as a young woman in the 70s to go to law school and to put yourself out there in ways that most women weren't doing. Um, How is that level of confidence different than the confidence that you're now writing about and talking about? That's a very good question. Uh, As a young woman, uh, I had been fortunate uh, to collect a lot of stars. Yeah. in, In my... Uh, education. And so having collected those stars, uh, I decided to cash in on them, you might say, went to law school, did well, and was hired at a very big firm. And there I had, it took a bit of courage to keep plugging through. Uh, You don't get to be a partner in a firm of that size, at least during my vintage, uh, until you're there for seven and a half years. So you will hear, and I certainly heard, some criticism along the way. Are you going to hang in there? Are you going to show them you can change? So that's where courage comes into play. Sure. And so I I kept plugging away. And in plugging away, again, you get lots of gold stars. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But it's different. So 
what shifted for you that opened up this awareness? I know that you then became, you went into executive coaching and, um, and it's not so much that I'm, that I'm not interested in that part of the journey. I really, I really am interested, but you landed on coaching people to find their lost confidence. And they, there's an old saying that says we teach what we most need to learn. So I'm wondering if uh, you were finding your own confidence at the same time on this path, or had you landed on something some, somewhat magical and thought, I have to share this? No, as a matter of fact, you are right that I was learning it <laughs> going along. And mm -hmm. as a matter of fact, uh, the key to where I am today is starting the coaching process. Mm -hmm. And I, once I knew I was coming back to California, the Tribune exited bankruptcy. I got pennies on the dollar. And, oh, ouch. But I was coming back to California. I was not an Iowa farm girl. <laughs> and so I picked a coaching school that was in Santa Barbara, you know, close to my old ranch. Mm -hmm. uh, and what was... The real turning point for me is the school insisted that all of its students be coached by one of their master coaches. So you got to see, you know, yeah, well, how, some, how somebody does good coaching. I coach and, a ton of coaches. Yeah, it's oh, really important, do. I yeah. think, for coaches to have coaches. Mm -hmm. Oh, it, yeah, it was a wonderful, transformative experience for me. And as a matter of fact, the woman who was my coach uh, is one of the people that the book is dedicated to. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that's wonderful. And so you went on this journey. And I suspect, um, like many of us, once we start to get proof that what we're doing is valuable and worthy and people are interested in it. We, we have the confidence to lean in a little bit more. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. And so then what led you to zeroing in on confidence in particular? Because of coaches, we do a lot of different things. And then writing your book, which is actually called Confidence Lost to Confidence Found, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. So what what brought you to zeroing in on confidence specifically? It seems to me that confidence is the foundation for taking mm. any action. Confidence is about taking action. So for me, in starting my new life, I had to take many actions. Certainly going to con coaching school was one, mm -hmm. living in a new community. I had lived north of Santa Barbara, and uh, my ranch and farm personality <laughs> was very different from the personality that... Um, personality is somewhat the wrong word, because I think a big part of confidence is authenticity. So... The authentic Kate McGinnis yeah. was on the ranch. She was in the farm. And when I came here to Santa Barbara, I didn't want to lose that. And as a matter of fact, with the help of my coach, I dug a bit deeper. So who is the authentic Kate McGinnis? Mm -hmm. 
And really by exploring that, I came to a position where I became much more comfortable taking action and expressing my thoughts. So uh, getting down to the root, to the foundation in my mind of confidence was essential for me. Yeah. I really appreciate you connecting authenticity with confidence because I think I come across so many people who the idea um, and they're they're close, but they're not quite there. The fake it till you make it versus the honest, authentic till you make it. You know, I just hired a new copywriter and um, and she said, I've done all of these things, but I haven't done this one thing that you want done. But I completely know I can do this if you'll give me a chance. I said, I believe you, right? And so she's far farther ahead than she would have been if she lied to me about her experience. So I, I, it's we're rewriting the importance of stepping up authentically. And um, when we do that and we can trust ourselves, chemically, scientifically, we become more confident because we know that what we're doing is true. I think that's a key point. If you think about the principle that lie detectors are playing, are premised on. Mm -hmm. If someone is telling a lie, the mechanism for the lie detector will will determine that your heart rate has increased, that the galvanic response on your skin has changed. So when you aren't being genuine, your body knows it, and you really cannot proceed effectively if you are out of touch. I think that's so powerful. I really do. I really love that. I hope everybody just heard that. So when we aren't authentic, when we are not honest with ourselves and with everyone else, our bodies don't treat us well because it's pissed. <laughs> it's like, wait, you're, this isn't the right thing for you. Um, and so it makes it so much more difficult to build something in our lives to do big, hard, brave, scary things, because we already don't believe ourselves. I'm actually doing some work with self-compassion and Kristen Neff's stuff. Are you familiar with? Absolutely. With her work? Yes. Um, And it is, it feels like radical work to do. And I think it ties in so much with your stuff, with with confidence and, and authentic confidence. So Share with us this process of choosing and deciding to write this book. I'd love to know um, your writing process. I'm always fascinated by different writers. I've written a few books myself and what that process is like. But also, what did you hope for the reader when you began the journey? What prompted me to do it was I was uh, giving a keynote address to a group of women lawyers in South Carolina. And the organizer had bought a copy of Terminal Ambition, bought enough copies, so everyone in attendance got a copy, which well, that's was lovely, wonderful. Yeah. And so after I gave my remarks, uh, which were on confidence, I uh, and I was focused on the behaviors that can erode confidence, especially in lawyers like perfectionism. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. uh, the, the organizers of the conference gave me a separate room in the hotel, and people could come in and get my book autographed, which was lovely. 
And a couple of women came in and told me about their struggles and their eyes filled up with tears Mm. about how difficult this was for them and the behaviors that really uh, haunted them. Perfectionism, self-criticism, rumination, their minds going around and around. And I came back to Santa Barbara and thought about it and thought, I really want to help these women. And Mm. that's what started me writing the book. That's the best way to start anything is, is this deep desire to, to serve and help others. That's good. That's good, Kate. No, that was, that that was it. Yeah. And what was your writing process like? Uh, Well, as you know, you have probably heard this uh, phrase, bit hawk for writers. Yes. Uh (laughs) Button chair, hand on keyboard. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yep. So did you just power it out? Because I find I, I run across so many different people. I interview a lot of authors. Some people say, oh, I secluded myself for a month and I wrote it all in one time, or I committed to an hour a day, or some people will audio record themselves and then have it transcribed. Did you just power it out? Powered it out. (laughs) Yeah. How long did it take you? Actually, about a year and a half. Right? I mean, that's no joke. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, but it really mattered to me. And when I had uh, people who who would distract me, and there certainly were some, uh, including a new relationship, (laughs) and I had to explain why the book was so important to me, Mm. why I needed to work and couldn't go for a walk on the beach that afternoon. Yeah, it comes back to this is, and this is the core of the the work and the coaching I do, which I call the, the brave method, but is understanding what you really want and why you really want it, and then setting those clear, concrete boundaries. Um, But also, I'm a big fan of reward. So I hope that for your sake that you said, I'm going to do this right now. But when I get this done, I'm going to love that walk on the beach with you. (laughs) Yes, I I didn't. I didn't give up the walks on the beach, although not as many as my friend would have chosen. (laughs) Yeah. I appreciate that. We've got to set those clear boundaries and understand why it matters. And sometimes I say, Chuck, the the thing that we've said we're going to do and go take care of your personal needs, but we can't do that all the time. We just have to get in tune with ourselves enough to know when. I will fully admit that um, the last couple of weeks have been particularly challenging for me. And yesterday I said, um, you know what? I, I'm not, I can't focus. I'm not getting anything done. I cleared the calendar for the rest of the afternoon. I crawled under my bed and I rewatched Bridgerton again because <laughs> sometimes we sometimes we just have to listen to our intuition, but then back on it today and and focus and I know why and I feel better. Because if we push ourselves too hard, uh, the burnout is so real that it's really hard to get back up. Yes, that's true. Absolutely. Yeah. I I experienced that a little bit on the book. Uh, mm. and with the book, as I went on, yes, there was burnout. But then when you go back and reread it, and you say, oh, well, that, that was a, a well-turned phrase. And I was very fortunate to have a wonderful editor. And she would keep me going. <laughs> she was a cheerleader. I love that. 
Yeah. I love that. We need a cheering squad. We need a, a team of people to believe in us. Also, I really love that you said you went back and you looked at your work and you went, oh, that's quite good. I feel that way often when I re-listen to the podcast. I'm like, oh, Heather, well done. Like that, <laughs> yes. That's nice. And it's lovely. We're so afraid to audit ourselves, I think, especially women. And the R in my Brave Method stands for reassessment, reframing, and resilience. And it's so hard to get people, particularly women, to do that reassessment, to build it in. But what you've just said is the magic of it. If we do it, we see that we we're we're well, we're good, we know what we're doing, we're worthy and valuable and and that you can't get that in any other capacity other than that reassessment phase. Oh, well, I mean, that's essential. Uh, that's I think so it's, essential. I'm really uh, taken by the fact that you're, you are teaching that because, you know, that really captures two, at least two important things. One is it's kind of mastering your inner critic. Mm-hmm. It's saying, well, I'm going to tamp down my inner critic long enough to listen. And then if you do that and you've done a good job, that's fine. But if you <laughs> listen and oh, you're not sure, then here's the second thing that comes that's into right. play. It's your growth mindset. Yep. And you see that you know mistakes are just opportunities to learn. That's right. That's exactly right. And we need opportunities to learn. Where we really falter is when we don't give ourselves opportunities to learn. Um, so if we stay still. And you have to have confidence to do that. But you, but much like I, I tell people, choosing bravery over fear is very similar to what I'm hearing you say about confidence. You don't actually have to abound with it. You just have to take a little bit and run with it. That's Absolutely right. I think, you know, as I said in the beginning, confidence is quite simply, how do you define it? It's taking action. So Mm -hmm. so as you say, you're brave and you take one step and then you run with it. Uh, I mean, I think simple example is you get up and you have an errand in the city. You know, maybe you are a farm girl, but you get on the car and you drive down a multi-lane highway. Well, that took confidence. So there are many ways in our lives that we can practice confidence. That's right. Clearing a paper jam in the printer. And what I think is important is you could create a success journal, or at least have that in your mind. Think about your successes. So when your confidence starts to fade, think about, oh, yes, I remember that. I gave that podcast that went so well. I I gave a speech. Uh, Mm -hmm. My article was well-received. And you could even uh, create what's called, what I call, a pride kit. So you can get a folder, put it in in it, the thank you notes that you've gotten from clients, thank you notes that you got from people that you attended your dinner party. Mm Mm-hmm. I have something like that I call the truth about you list, the truth about me list. So whenever something positive like that is presented to me, I keep a a log of it and I review it um, when I'm doing gratitude and when I'm doing other things to remind me that these things are the truth, not the stories in my head, not the voices, (laughs) um, but these things. So I love it. I love a pride kit. Whatever you want to call it, folks, keep track um, and revisit those things. Exactly. That's beautiful. Kate, if 
if listeners want to embrace true confidence, and I know you said it's just getting into action, but to be more specific than that, what's the first thing that you would suggest they do um, just to get started? I think take one small brave step every day. And whether it's getting on the highway, whether it's um, clearing the paper jam, whether it's saying to your partner, no, I don't want pizza tonight. Mm. (laughs) I want to go to the gym. Just some small step. And the small steps will accumulate. That's right. That that is how you're going to build confidence. Yeah. Big things don't happen in big steps. They happen in small, (laughs) intentional steps. So, yeah, I love that. I want to ask you, I think this is a really nice segue. Um, I'm a big fan of gratitude and celebration. I've written two books on gratitude, and I believe that when we choose to celebrate, and so much of what you've just said, this pride kit that you do, that that's a celebration of things that are going well in our lives or sticking up for ourselves or doing things that feel hard, even if other people don't consider them hard. How do you like to celebrate successes, both the big ones and the small ones? Well, I think it's one of the ways that's one of the important ways to do it for me (laughs) is to share it with someone that I care about who cares about me. So it may be telling my new partner or if it's something I'm really proud of, I may call my son or send him a text. But sharing good news is not only expressing gratitude, but it's building positivity in your life and hopefully in the lives of others. I dig that. I, I it, Because I do think that um, celebration shared is joy returned. I've actually written on that a couple of different times and that we build more of a momentum. We we show the importance of of joy and celebration and authenticity and gratitude and we bring other people into the fold and that's also very contagious, isn't it? <laughs> no, that's really wonderful. Sh- gratitude share is what say that again. It's a lovely phrase. Um yeah, I don't exactly know. <laughs> so, I, I I do um, I I speak on that a lot, but yes, sharing celebrations and wins and gratitude and doing so from an authentic standpoint of just bringing sharing and bringing joy for yourself and for others. I I just believe it multiplies and it's absolutely contagious. So we have to have. Um, we don't have to. We don't have to do anything. My 11-year-old will remind me. You don't have to feed us. You feed us because you love us and you don't want us to die. So you don't have to be happy, folks. You don't have to be more confident. You don't have to be more grateful or authentic. But you will be so much happier should you choose to do so. And the people around you, your loved ones, your clients, your friends will be happier should you choose to do so. And I think I believe that what you're doing here, Kate, is so impactful and showing folks how you can gain confidence even in the most seemingly insignificant of ways. And there's so much power in recognizing that those small things add up to big things. So thank you so much for sharing that. Oh, uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity. That's why I I wrote the book, uh, both books, is to help women. 
I love it. I think it's great. Well, we're going to link to all of that. But before we uh, wrap up the this interview, I get to ask you one of my very favorite questions ever. I believe so deeply in the power of building community and giving back. So what's your favorite charitable organization to support? My favorite uh, is, I have two favorites, if I may. Uh, you may. One is here in Santa Barbara, we have a very small charity. It's called Storyteller Center. And it is an organization that works with uh, children who are not yet in school, pre-K and even toddlers who are at risk. And by that, I mean they may be in foster care. They may be homeless. Mm. Uh, They have perhaps been abused. And that's a small organization that uh, before COVID, I used to go in two afternoons a week and be with the toddlers. I love that. It was fun for both of us. Absolutely. Oh, I love it. I love the idea of um, exposing any any child, but particularly children who are less exposed to storytelling and reading. And um, you would love my friend, um, Paige Chenault. I interviewed Paige um, for the show. I'll have to figure out what episode that was. But she has an organization called the Birthday Party Project, and they throw homeless shelters, uh, birthday parties in homeless shelters throughout the country because they believe that joy changes lives. The two of you have similar missions there. Oh, that's wonderful. Now, yeah. the other... Uh national organization that I support is called CASA, C-A-S-A, and that is Court-Appointed Special Advocates. And there, people, men or women, uh, with some training, become advocates for children who are caught up in the foster care system. That's usually the case or children who are the subject of a custody dispute. Mm-hmm. And essentially, your job, and you don't have to be a lawyer to do this, and I'd love to see more people do it. I have a cousin who does is a, is a CASA person. What's that? No, you can just say a CASA, court-appointed a special advocate. She's a CASA, yeah, and she loves the work that she's doing. Yeah, it's really beautiful. Yeah, very important Wonderful. stuff. Well, I appreciate you sharing those with us. Listeners, if any of this lights you up, we ask you to do something about it, whether that means go and find them on social media, give them likes and shares and love if you've got time or money to contribute, or if it just inspires you to go out and do something on your own to make a difference, we urge you to do that today because we are called upon as a global community to show up for one another in ways that we we haven't done in the past. It's The time is now. And so um, I love that. And I appreciate, Kate, you sharing those with us. I appreciate your sharing it with your listeners. The, both organizations are very dear to my heart. Wonderful. Kate, will you share your three words with us one last time? Sure. Authenticity, resilience, and courage. Beautiful words. They're core words uh, for me. In fact, I, I think if you look on my website, you'll literally see them listed in my core values as a company. So I love them. I love what you're doing. I love that you are out there helping particularly women um, step up into their own power, uh, realize that they have more control over their lives than they think they do. Folks, you have more control over your life than you think you do. You're not stuck unless you're choosing to be stuck. And it doesn't have to be big and it doesn't have to be hard. As Kate said, it's simply just starting. It's just taking an action. 
If you like this conversation and you want to get into more conversations with us, I urge you to follow me on Twitter at Vickery & Co. or on Instagram at Vickery & Co. And even more importantly, join us in our Facebook collective, Brave on Purpose, where we show up every day together as a collective community of people who are committed to living more brave, honest, authentic lives. It's free. We would love to have you just pop onto Facebook and search Brave on Purpose. I am so glad to have you here today, Kate. I'm so glad to have all of you here listening. It is such a pleasure. It's such a pleasure to be part of your life journey and your brave journey. So this is Heather Vickery reminding you today and every day to go out and choose bravely. Hey, friends, I want to share something really exciting with you. We already know you enjoy listening to podcasts because you're listening to this one, but I'm also betting you enjoy audiobooks. And hey, listen, if you don't already enjoy audiobooks, then it's time to check them out. That's why I'm really excited to share Libro.fm with you. They are an incredible new platform for listening to audiobooks. And by choosing Libro.fm over other audiobook services, you are supporting a local bookstore of your choice and investing in your local community. Libro.fm offers over 150,000 audiobooks via their primary platform, which, by the way, they built with love and from scratch because they're a small business also. They even offer bookseller recommendations for great audiobook options. You can sign up right now via www.vickeryandco.com slash Libro.fm. That's vickeryandco.com slash L-I-B-R-O-F-M. And when you do, you'll get one free audiobook of your choice, and the proceeds will go to your favorite local bookstore. Now, check what I just said there. You're going to get a free book, and the proceeds are still going to go to your local bookstore because Libro.fm makes sure that their booksellers get paid even when they give a promo to customers. I've listened to over 20 audiobooks this year alone. I especially love listening to memoirs read by the author, and it feels great knowing that all of my purchases support my local bookstore, The Book Table, in Oak Park, Illinois. Libro.fm. The same audiobooks, the same price, but a completely different story. Check them out right now at vickeryandco.com slash Libro.fm. Have you ever thought about starting a podcast? Maybe you've had this thought and then quickly shut it down because who has the time? Or you don't know how, or gosh, it just all seems too hard. If you have something to share with the world, we want to encourage you to get your message out. The world needs to hear it. Did you know that 50% of all homes are podcast fans? If you've ever wondered about having your own podcast or how it can increase your business or get your message across, then please join me and the other experts from the Podcast Power Academy for our monthly free Q&A session. It's called, So You Want to Start a Podcast? This casual live conversation will help you understand how podcasting can be a great decision, why now is the best time to get started, and how to get into action with it. Visit podcastpoweracademy.com to learn more. You've been listening to The Brave Files, stories of people living courageously. 
To learn more about the show, find our show notes and full episode transcripts, or to get some great bonus content, visit thebravefilespodcast.com. And we would love to know what you think of the show. You can give us a call at 312-646-0205. Let us know your thoughts on the episode, the show in general, or maybe share with us how you're out choosing bravely. This episode is brought to you by Vickery and Co. Success Coaching. Coaching that helps you maintain a life well-lived and a business well-run. Learn more at vickeryandco.com. Our music was created and produced in a custom collaboration with Matt Lewis from ML Creative Consulting, a boutique firm dedicated to helping clients identify their unique sound and amplify their brand with custom delivered soundtracks. We couldn't do any of this without our extraordinary audio engineer, Andrew Olson. Learn more about him and check out his work at findandrewolson.com. And special thanks to everyone on Team Brave from our producers, associate producers, copy editors, writers, and support team. Special thanks to Molly, Mary, Kim, Sabra, and Sabrina. I'm your host and executive producer, Heather Vickery. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next week.